said it's good, Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Faria Amin. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at beyond underscore headlines. That's B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. Youth in Canada are experiencing a once-in-a-generation crisis during the COVID-19 pandemic. They're facing unprecedented disruptions which have affected aspects of their lives, including their education, employment and economic status, and mental health. Unless action is taken to support young people in Canada now, they may be left to deal with the impacts of the pandemic for the next decade. Today, I'm joined by Andrum Sultana and Jessica Liu. They work at the YWCA and YMCA Canada, respectively. Earlier this year, they co-authored and released a report titled Preventing a Lockdown Generation, a plan to support Canada's youth in post-pandemic recovery. They will be discussing the findings from this report and explaining what work needs to be done to support young people in Canada. Hi, welcome, Andrew and Jessica. Thank you both so much for joining me on Beyond the Headlines today. Could we start off with a round of introductions? First of all, it's such a pleasure to always be on this podcast, and I'm such an avid fan. My name is Andrew Sultana. I'm the National Director of Public Policy and Strategic Communications at YWC Canada, the nation's largest and oldest gender equity organization. And hi, thank you so much for having me as well. My name is Jessica Liu, and I'm the Vice President of Government Relations and Advocacy at YMCA Canada. So today we're here to discuss a report that you both authored titled Preventing a Lockdown Generation. To start off, can you tell us what a lockdown generation is? Specifically, what are the issues facing young people and why is the situation so dire? Thanks, Beria. So I... Jessica, I'll take the lead on this question, and thank you so much for asking it. The idea of a lockdown generation is kind of how this whole paper started. And so it it came to be because the economic and social consequences of the pandemic have been swift and severe on young people, both in Canada and around the world. Young people, as we've seen through uh, the work that we do at YMCA and YWCA, Young people have faced multiple shocks as a result of the lockdown measures that have been put in place. Some of the shocks have included unemployment, largely due to the nature of work that young people are in, being part-time, temporary jobs in, in sectors that have been highly impacted by these lockdown measures, such as retail and the food industry. We've also seen some of the other shocks, such as isolation, disruption in education, increase in stress and anxiety, about the future. And so as a result of this, in May 2020, the International Labor Organization began to raise alarms and really coined the term of a lockdown generation to frame how young people have been affected by the pandemic. And it's interesting because if we look back on history, and there's always been several moments that kind of define generations. So there was the end of World War II and the boom in the birth rates, there was the dot-com bubble burst, 
And so we're looking now the impact of lockdowns and the potential emerging lockdown generation as a result, particularly for young people who were facing difficult economic and social challenges prior to the pandemic that have only been exacerbated by them. And so this coining it the lockdown generation really puts it in terms and I think also puts out a call to action to recognize the impact and hopefully, and through the work that we've been trying to do, really change course. And instead of having a generation that's locked down, could we have a generation that's unlocked and really create a generation of young people that are thriving. So that's where the lockdown generation came from. And that's really what it represents. And this is what we've been trying to do from our work. My next question is what prompted the YMCA and YWCA to publish this report? Yeah, and just to build on what Jessica was sharing, as two of arguably the largest and oldest um, youth-focused organizations, we actually see when communities are not being served, whether by public policy or the way institutions are set up. And we're seeing when people are falling through the cracks. And throughout this pandemic, and, and Jessica raised this, Youth unemployment, for example, was an issue before the pandemic and really a big burden on young people happened after the 2008 recession, for example, and it's only grown. And this pandemic potentially deepens that divide between people who are able to fully achieve their full potential and people who aren't. And I think for us as members of civil society, we're able to provide that on the ground reality check for government but also be that bridge builder with government, yes, but also labor movements, the private sector, academia, and think tanks. And I think part of what we were interested in also was some of the global conversations that were happening. So both YMCA and YWCA are, have global international federations as well, like the World YWCA and the World YMCA. And uh, both of those two organizations, along with four other international youth organizations, came up with this initiative called the Big Six. And this was funded by the World Health Organization and also supported by the United Nations Foundation. And part of our work is feeding into that global conversation as well. So we've been really heartened to see since we published this back on International Youth Day, we've seen interest from the international labor organization themselves the OECD. And also with this election that has just passed, we're hoping to continue to engage with the federal government as well. But really, this is a global issue. And we're really privileged and honored to start to talk about it here in Canada. But really, we need all hands on deck. And that's what we hope this report starts a conversation that we can make into a movement. So the report outlines six areas of focus that are critical to supporting young people. Could you explain what these pillars are and why they're necessary to support youth? Yes. So we have, as you indicated in your question, focused on six pillars to support youth recovery and resiliency following the pandemic. And these are, just to to list them briefly, they're building an inclusive society, youth employment, housing, mental health supporting youth serving sector and youth leadership. And the reason why we focused on these areas were were for a few reasons. The first being where YMCA and YWCA have expertise and experience. We we both provide uh, core offerings and a suite of programs and services that are critical to communities and largely serve vulnerable populations, including young people, young women, deserving groups of young people. And so 
this starting based on where do we have experience and expertise to talk on these issues. And Jim also mentioned the work of the World YMCA and World YWCA, which they did jointly with four other, uh, making up the six largest youth-serving organizations. And they focused on several areas as well, these being critical in those. And then the last piece was we looked at uh, Canada's youth policy, which is a, was a course informed by young people. And in the youth policy, they also focus, there's a lot of alignment in these between these areas. And so for us, it was also reiterating that these are important areas for young people pre-pandemic and will continue to be important post-pandemic. And the last piece, and, and perhaps the most important piece, is really, as we were starting to think about this project and how to approach it, we quickly realized the interconnectedness between these issues. And if you take youth employment, for example, as, as Anjum even mentioned in her last answer, securing a meaningful job, a decent, decent job in, in Canada is very difficult or more challenging when you don't have a safe place to live. And it's also more challenging when you are facing increased rates of stress or mental health challenges and how you young people rely on services, wraparound services, for example, from organizations that they trust, like, like ours, to help bridge those gaps. And so we felt like it would be recognizing the impact through the pandemic and the need to take a holistic approach to youth recovery and resiliency that we needed to, to look at these six areas specifically. And we, we do recognize that there are some other issues that we didn't cover just given in this project. And we hope that this is really a starting point, but we do feel like looking at youth recovery and resiliency relies on looking at these six areas in terms of a holistic approach. Thanks so much, Jessica. Did you have anything to add, Anjan? Yeah, I think at the heart of this work is a recognition that our recovery will be incomplete without centering young people. They have been the hardest hit in many ways, as as Jessica has described, along multiple, multiple areas. And I think that's been the real struggle in this pandemic is young people are not being focused on at the levels they need to be. And the fact is, good or bad, the decisions of this time, young people will be dealing with the aftermath for decades to come. And also, research is showing us, especially from other G7 countries, youth unemployment alone, that will have a dramatic impact on our country's GDP for the next 7, 10 years. And in fact, that's what the International Labor Organization was also talking about, that there's actually an economic scarring that happens when young people lose their job. Anytime you lose your job, that is bad and it really hurts that person's economic trajectory. But the younger that happens, that can actually stick with you for a longer time. And in fact, research from the UK is suggesting that they're going to be losing close to $25 billion over the next seven years because of the economic impacts of youth employment during the pandemic alone. So I think for us, we see the impacts on young people and that in itself is something that should be cause for concern. But I think for us too, it's recognizing that this actually has ripple effects for all of us, whether we're we're in that demographic group or not. So I think really this whole idea that we're all in it together, young people and their future, that really demonstrates that in a really incredibly important way that we hope people pay attention to. 
Once again, that was Andrum Sultana and Jessica Liu discussing the contents of and origins behind their report, Preventing a Lockdown Generation. Next, we will be discussing the implications of the recent Canadian election on the recommendations provided in their report. Remember, you can join us in the conversation by tweeting at us on Twitter, at BYOND underscore headlines. The Liberal Party emerged as the winners of the election last month and again make up a minority government. Did any of the party's priorities, mandates, or actions before the election align with what was presented in the report? So one of the questions that emerged in this election campaign is, what is this election about? And Jessica and I actually wrote an op-ed specifically on this topic and really asked the question, we shouldn't be focusing on what this election is about. We should be focusing on who this election is about. And I'll say across all political parties, despite the fact that millennials and Gen Z make up the largest voting bloc, over 40% or close to 40% of the electorate, their concerns were not top of mind. And it's concerning because, again, the consequences of this time, good or bad, will be felt by those generations. And I think there's definitely were some promising signs before we went into the election period. Jessica mentioned, for example, the youth policy. So that was something that was a leadership role that Canada was taking. We also saw the publication of the State of the Youth Report that came out the same week that our lockdown generation report came out too, which was promising to see. But I think that the challenge has been, and this was even pre-pandemic, the scale that we need change to happen and the ambition we need is not present. And this is across all political parties. What I will say, and you know, speaking from the YWC perspective, this keeps me up at night. And honestly, like, I'm so worried about this for so many reasons, but young women in particular have been the hardest hit. And this is across Canada, but also globally. They're actually the demographic group that's furthest from pre-COVID levels. And in a pandemic that's had such deep generational impacts, as Jessica has alluded to, and also deep gendered impacts, I'm afraid that we're actually going to see us fall back in where we've been able to progress when it comes to gender equality, for example. Over the last 30 years, we've made incredible progress. But I think the singular pandemic, if we don't actually look at it at the level we need to, that can erase generations of progress. I think also... We saw different focuses on different issues. So uh, in, the, in our uh, report, we focused on mental health, employment, housing. We also talk about investing in the sectors that support young people like the nonprofit and charitable sector. And, you know, we saw some here and there. But I think the gap for me, for example, housing was a big hot topic issue during this election. But it still wasn't really grappling with the fact that young people have actually had to completely stop their dream of home ownership. That's one angle of it, which is important, but also homelessness has been on the rise. So I think there's, again, not an understanding that for something like housing, yes, affordable housing is a big issue, but so so is social housing, so is homelessness. So I think, again, the generational impacts weren't there, and that's a missed opportunity for all political parties. Anything to add, Jessica? I would echo that you being at the center of this is critical, especially as Andrew has said already that young people are going to carry the burden of the pandemic for, for many, many years. And so focusing on their recovery only supports our, our economy and our country and our communities. So I, I would just echo that. And I think 
pre-election, there was a recognition of the impact of young people and some steps that were taken and as well as some early steps to take into consideration the disproportionate impact of some groups of young people, as Andrew has also mentioned, but more needs to be taken, I think is, is the short of what I'll add. So given the Liberal Party's election platform and the policy objectives it outlined, what from the report do you think the government may implement? And is there anything that you think may not be implemented? Yeah, so I think maybe even building off my, my thinking for the, the last question, we've seen the Liberals in their platform commit to creating over a million jobs. And so I think we will see them continue to pursue that commitment. And pre, pre-election, there was meaningful work and changes made to the Canada Summer Jobs Program, for example, that I think was very successful as well as some expansions and additional investments in the youth employment and skills strategy. And so I think those, again, were were meaningful first steps. And can we look at where we're going and how can those programs, for example, play a role in meeting the overall goal of creating a million jobs and really focusing on creating a significant portion of those jobs for young people. Similarly, I think there was commitments and recognition of the, the impact on mental health on young people. And so I think that we will continue to see investments in mental health and looking at mental health supports as a wraparound support to some of the other areas. We did start to see that before, and I I do hope to continue to see that going forward. Similarly, as Anjum also mentioned, there, there was a commitment in the budget, which I know the question was framed around the election platform, but I think the budget also plays a critical role in the priorities going forward. And there was a commitment for creating a community services recovery fund to help communities and human service charities and nonprofits adapt and modernize for the future. And I think implementing this fund is critical as organizations that serve young people continue to face significant challenges financial challenges that directly impact ability to serve increasing demand. So I think as we're going forward, this priority should continue to be pursued and urgently addressed. And your question on what I think might not be implemented, I think what we don't talk about is not going to be implemented. And so again, one of the main motivations that for this project was to recognizing that issues impacting young people were were absent from public discourse and so wanting to create space to talk about it in a meaningful way and in a holistic approach to recovery and resiliency for young people and if we don't continue to talk about it and continue to put it on the forefront and the solutions under each of those six pillars then it's unlikely that we'll see any momentum behind them. And we will see that space taken up by other issues because unfortunately, as we continue to live in a pandemic, there is no shortage of challenges right now. And so the critical is to continue to put pressure in order to implement all of these solutions. Did you have anything to add, Anja? I think what I can share is for us, at the heart of what we're seeking, you know, preventing a lockdown generation is also this idea of generational equity. How do we do justice by younger generations who may not get to experience the quote unquote Canadian dream? 
right? There's this idea that if you work hard, put your head down, you can achieve your full potential. You can access opportunities. You can ensure decent employment, housing, and more. And that is very much at risk. And it was at risk before the pandemic, but it is something that by the end of this, we may not be able to access in the same way. So I think that's something has not been really grappled with at the level that it needs to be. And with respect to what may not be implemented, one of the things we had called for in our report is investing in youth leadership and specifically looking at different bodies that have been set up in this pandemic to provide advice to government and how do we ensure a generational lens. And one of the areas I'd like to see, and it's unclear if we will see, is on the task force for women in the economy. Like I mentioned, young women have been deeply impacted by this pandemic. But when you actually look at that at that task force, you don't actually see younger generations represented in the same way. I think also there could be an important role that the Prime Minister's Youth Council can play um, around post-pandemic recovery and response that we have not seen yet, but we hope we will. So I think there's still a lot of opportunities that have not been unlocked that they actually have access to. So I'm waiting to see, will they actually take on those opportunities? Do the recommendations in the report align with the election platforms of any of the other parties? If so, do you think any action on these recommendations will be taken, even if they don't align with the Liberal Party's priorities? So I think different political parties, because of their ideology or how they view the role of government will have different approaches. And one of the areas that we've seen this is in housing. So there's a markedly different approach that the liberals are taking for housing compared to the conservatives, compared to the NDP, for example. And I think right now, one of the things I'd be curious to see is how do we actually create multiple benefits by addressing the same issue? When it comes to housing, we clearly know there's not enough housing. There's a lot of debate around how to increase housing supply, for example. But I think what we haven't talked about enough is can addressing housing also be a pathway for addressing youth employment, for example? And I think that's something where we have not seen enough conversation about. What I did see that was promising, for example, in the conservative platform is a commitment around mental health. And that's something for us at YWC and YMCA, we have a deep focus on both in terms of our communities that we serve and their needs, but also the areas of expertise that we hold. I think another area where we saw markedly different approaches by different political parties is around something like childcare, which is part of the social safety net, which many would argue is part of building an inclusive society. Again, markedly different approaches. But my hope is in this pandemic, we've seen the things that really matter and what we need to invest in. And I think my hope is We've seen actually a turning point in the conversation in Canada around how much we should invest in people or how big should we invest in our social programs. I think that perhaps there's an appetite for bigger government that perhaps will be one of the legacies of this time across all political parties, because there's a recognition in times of crisis, we actually need to look to places like government to support us, like we've seen in this pandemic. And maybe maybe just building on that, if I could, I also think coming out of the last minority parliament and going into a minority parliament, we did see significant collaboration, both in terms of between parties in order to move, of course, legislation and initiatives forward, but also between government and various sectors and also between various sectors and organizations within them. So I think 
going forward and going into a minority parliament again, I think we will continue to see that and need that collaboration, which will only help, I think, to really look at the root causes at some of these challenges and to think about them in different ways and getting different input into how we might approach them. Once again, that was Andrew Sultana and Jessica Liu. Up next, they will explain what work can be done beyond the report and by groups outside of the federal government. Remember, you can join us in the conversation by tweeting at us on Twitter at BYOND underscore headlines. So the report mentions how other sectors of society beyond the federal government can play a role in preventing a lockdown generation and also in investing in Canadian youth. What are these other sectors and what can they do? So this is by no means a comprehensive list, but different role, different sectors in society can play remarkably important roles in supporting young people. As members of civil society and the nonprofit and charitable sector, definitely a role that we can play in terms of service delivery. But also we are employers. So what kind of targeted workforce development can we as sectors do when it comes to supporting young people's employment aspirations? There's so many sectors that can play a role, social movements, academia and think tanks, universities, for example. I mentioned the nonprofit and charitable sector, the public sector, so government and other entities related to government, the private sector, and also labor movement and labor unions. I think one of the places, and this is especially a call to action for academia and think tanks, is around actually starting to build out a research and public policy program around generational equity. Can we start to look at policy issues from how does it impact young people? For example, when you look at housing, the housing experiences of people under 40 in this current moment in time and 30 years ago is very different in terms of home ownership, in terms of access to quality of housing, in terms of core housing need. But we don't have enough data. We need more data on the experiences of young people for these different policy issues. I think also around disaggregated data collection. So what's been nice is during the pandemic, we've started to see a deeper understanding of why we need gender diversity in data, why we need racial, uh, racially sensitive data, uh, but we also need age sensitive data. And I think an opportunity for us to look at is the quality of life index for the federal budget. One of the recommendations that we had and other organizations like UNICEF Canada have also called for this is actually including a section on child and youth well-being in the budget, because as we know, what gets measured gets done. And that's a place where we can also start to see different organizations look at their work and see how can we build in more disaggregated data along gender, around race, around age, and many other factors as well. I think one thing in our report and in the way Jessica and I work together, we were really looking at all the different elements of making this report happen through a equity lens when it came to procurement. So where we could, we looked at how do we invest in youth-led businesses for the design of the report, for example. When it comes to some of the knowledge mobilization opportunities, how do we invest in young people in our communities and in our networks and movements? I think every organization should take a look at your procurement. Who do you buy from? Who do you get services from? And put an equity lens on it. And if it's possible as well, put a youth lens on it as well. So I think that's another place. Every single organization has a budget or financial resources. 
things that they can influence. And that's one way you can show up around this lockdown generation work. I think finally, and there's so many things that can be done. I think it's really investing in youth leadership. I think oftentimes they're seen as beneficiaries. We need to support them. But young people have been supporting all of us. They're actually the generation that does the most volunteering, for example, and is very actively engaged in different social issues. And I think right now what they're looking for is that sponsorship or investment in their social capital, which has been at risk actually in this pandemic. So I think taking a look at how can you spread your social capital to younger generations, that's a role every single organization, but also every single person can also look at in terms of how they want to support preventing a lockdown generation. Thanks, Andrew. Anything to add, Jessica? I think, you know, as we were going through it and thinking about the role government can play, we were also looking at it from the perspective of the reader and wanting to create a place where the reader could amplify what we're suggesting in terms of the role government can play, but also can see a call to action for themselves and how can they be part of the solutions beyond just advocating for these policy measures at government, but really looking internally at their processes and opportunities to to support youth recovery and resiliency. And so that's really where we identified or introduced some ways that other sectors can play a role in the paper as well. The report is exhaustive and uses an intersectional lens to analyze the many ways in which Canadian youth require support. Is there any other work that could be done beyond what's outlined in the report to sustain young people? And if so, what is this? Thanks so much for this question. I really appreciate it. And I want to acknowledge that while the paper is exhaustive, we recognize that not all issues or not all experiences or points of views were covered. There is definitely more to say on the impact of the pandemic on different segments of young people being at different age groups, different diverse groups, looking specifically at the impact on Indigenous youth, for example, or looking at other issues not covered. For example, we didn't go into great detail on the education disruption or the access to education more broadly. So this paper is intended as a starting point, as as we've mentioned, and, and we hope that there will be many more public policy discussions or reports or uh, conversations within the public discourse on supporting youth recovery and resiliency. But with that, and to build on a point that Anja mentioned earlier, I think what we need to support that is better data and more disaggregated data to truly understand what the required interventions are for different segments of young people. Because what may work for young men may not work for young Black women, for example. And so we need to have that data to really evaluate public policy measures and to have the opportunity to make changes so that the measures that are put in place are truly having the impact that they're intended to. And I think before the election, we started to see some targeted measures specifically for groups that were hardest hit. For example, there was investments in a in the budget for after school programming for young people, particularly vulnerable youth, to support them with achieving their academic success and moving through 
elementary to high school to post-secondary. And so targeting specifically at-risk or more vulnerable youth is a really meaningful step in putting forth measures that work for the intended group that they're, they're intending to reach. But I think in addition to data, the other piece of work that we need to do as part of public policy solutions is is engaging young people in a meaningful way and engaging them in these decision-making and policy development processes. Because without the voice of young people in decision-making, and again, without the data to support the measures that we're aiming to put in place, we run the risk of putting forward solutions that aren't going to meet the needs of young people. And so really creating meaningful place and, and not involving young people in, in a way that's tokenistic, but to really engage them to, to understand what their realities are, work with them to develop solutions. And again, to have that data to really evaluate the impact and create places to adjust programs as needed. The website for this plan mentions an initiative called Leadership Labs. Can you share some information on what this is? Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for mentioning the website. So Jessica and I have just given a cursory overview of many of the pillars and recommendations, but people can see it in full at preventingalockdowngeneration.ca. And one of the things that we've seen in this pandemic, and I know on a personal level, but also professional level, Every single month of this pandemic brings a new challenge, a new dimension to this COVID era that we're living through. And when Jessica and I wrote this report together and when we launched it on International Youth Day, we knew that things will change. We knew that more and more conversations will need to take place. And that's what the Leadership Lab offers. Really grateful for and the support of our lead partner, TikTok Canada. And again, this is an example of how different sectors of society can work together to think through solutions and also amplify them to key decision makers. Our first leadership lab, which is a way, an interactive way for young people and allies of young people to feed into the process, is going to focus on youth mental health. We're bringing together leading uh, mental health experts. We have representation from the YMCA, from the YWC, and other organizations. We're going to also, in real time, as we ask leading experts questions about youth mental health, for example, we're also giving an opportunity to audience members to also feed into the policy recommendations. And I'll say this is actually building on the work that we did during the initial report phase, where we had 30 plus reviewers of young people, of allies of young people from coast to coast to coast feeding into this work. Now we're just doing that on a larger stage. And we'll actually have three more leadership labs after this one in October. And we'll cover issues like housing, which was one of the pillars in the Preventing a Lockdown Generation Plan. We'll also be talking about youth employment. We'll also be talking about what does it mean to build an inclusive society? Because for young people and for many of us, we can't have economic recovery without addressing all of the sources of discrimination that were present before the pandemic. And this is essentially an opportunity for that co-creation and action. Thanks, Anjum. Anything to add, Jessica? 
I think it just reiterates the point that was made earlier that we're we're really taking this process or this project as a starting point and looking for opportunities to continue to raise awareness of the impact of the pandemic on young people and the solutions to support youth recovery and resiliency. And this is one example of how our organizations and the YWCA's leadership is trying to make that happen. And so we hope that it inspires other organizations to have these conversations, to do additional research and work, to continue to bring this to the forefront and and help move young people to the center of our recovery plan. Well, thank you both so much for appearing on BTH today. It was great learning about your report and what kind of changes you want to see implemented in Canada moving forward from this COVID era. Thank you so much. Such such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Once again, that was Anjum Sultana and Jessica Liu. You have been listening to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5 FM. Many thanks to our guests for joining us to discuss the topic of COVID-19's impact on Canadian youth and what action needs to be taken to support them. Today's show was produced by myself. The views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, CIUT, or the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. If you missed any part of the show, be sure to check out podcasts of all our episodes on our website at www.beyondtheheadlines.net, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you're a fan of our show or want to stay up to date with policy issues in Canada, follow us on Twitter at BYOND underscore headlines. You can also check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to take public policy discussions out of the hallways and onto the airwaves.